And uh, I was waiting for that to happen today. I think the Lord kind of prompted me that it might would do that. But I'm in Daniel chapter 1 this, this afternoon. If you would turn there, Daniel chapter 1. I, uh, I know the day has been long. and It reminds me in Mark chapter 8, Jesus had been teaching and preaching great crowds for about three days. And after the third day, they had not eaten, they had not taken a break. That's a long time. You thought today was a long day. They had gone three full days. And it was, Jesus was not going to send them away empty, uh, not only spiritually, but physically. And so they, that was a miracle of the feeding of the 4,000. That's recorded there. And then Jesus and the disciples ended up getting a ship and sailing across the Sea of Galilee. And while they were sailing across, Jesus was continuing to work and try to teach his disciples. And he was talking about to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. But the disciples weren't getting it. And Jesus posed this question to them in rebuking them. And he said, have ye your heart yet hardened? And when we come to days like this where we have back-to-back services and the day gets long, I think of that passage of Scripture and how something about being so busy dulls our spiritual senses. And oftentimes we get to these afternoon services and we're just ready for it to be over and done. We're thinking about what's coming up. And I know Brother Brent tried to admonish me to be brief uh, this morning. And I'm going to try to do so because I was going to give you a full introduction of Babylon and how, what kind of great city it was. And so, I mean, the message is already cut down quite a bit. I uh, appreciate all that prep work, preacher, uh, to get this message. But, uh, but no, what I want us to do before we begin, really, is just ask the Lord to sharpen our spiritual senses once again. And I want to just take a moment, and we'll be silent for a little while, and then I'll lead us in prayer before we begin. But I want you to ask the Lord to sharpen your spiritual senses to get what He wants you to get today from the Word of God this afternoon. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow before you this afternoon and we ask for your grace and help. We know how weak and feeble we are and how easily we're distracted. Lord, you have something for us from your word this afternoon. And though we've been busy, we pray that you would stir our hearts, that you would help us to focus our minds and attention to the Holy Spirit and what he's and what you're asking us to do in our lives because of the truths of your word that we've heard this morning and that we're about to hear. Lord, we need you. And I pray that you'd meet with us, that you'd feel your presence and spirit in this place and do a work that only you can do in our hearts and lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter number 1. We've been sitting a while, right? Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to do so. 
Stretch your legs just a little. Daniel chapter 1, beginning at verse number 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Skip down, if you would, to verse 18. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, notice this, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Ten times better. Well, speaking on the subject, the difference in Daniel. The difference in Daniel. Let's pray once more. Father, thank you for the reading of your word, and please, we pray that you'd meet our needs today through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. As we consider this question of what was different about Daniel, let's try to get a little bit of input about some of the people and from some of the people who knew him. Nebuchadnezzar is the one who examined him, and of course we know what he says here, that Daniel and his three companions were ten times better than any of the others that were in his kingdom. If you turn over to chapter number four, again he makes a comment about about Daniel. Uh, He's expressing how uh, this dream that he had... uh, He could not get anything out of the wise men that he had. And Daniel was called in. And in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 8, he says, But at the last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom, and notice this, is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him I told the dream. So here is a man, a heathen king, who is not interested in Almighty God, but he notices something about Daniel, and he gives the distinguishing mark, the thing that separates him from all the others of his wise men, the fact that the spirit, as he put it, of the holy gods is in him. Not only did Nebuchadnezzar have a high regard for Daniel, but People throughout the kingdom did as well because of what God did through him. 
It was in turn over to chapter 5. We got the background of all that this morning as to what was going on. And when Belteshazzar saw that handwriting on the wall, and he was shaking in his shoes and knees were knocking, it was the queen who stepped up and suggested that Daniel be brought. And in chapter 5 and verse 10, we see the queen telling the king not to be so upset and Don't allow your countenance to be changed. In verse 11, she starts describing him and says, There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. There it is again. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. Whom the king, Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, For as much, notice this, as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now, let Daniel be called and he will show you the interpretation. She said, hey, don't sweat, Belshazzar. We have a man here who, can, who knows what this writing says and what it means. We'll call Daniel. But she described in the very same way in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Some might would think that Daniel was just specially and naturally gifted. But if we turn and look in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 30... After God had revealed to Daniel what the king's dream was, this is what Daniel said of himself. He said, But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. Daniel said, I am no different than any one of these other men. Reminds me, another passage of Scripture, of, uh, and I forget what it was in James, I believe it was, where uh, Elijah was a man of like passions, like as we are. But yet God moved and used him in a great way. You see, it was not Daniel or anything about him that was different than any other person. It was God. It was God working through Daniel. Daniel was simply the instrument that God moved and used to do His will. It's very much like someone would take a pen and write a message out on a piece of paper. Yes, the pen is the instrument, but it's being controlled It has yielded itself to the movement and impulse of the one in control. And may I say, that's exactly what Daniel did with God. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, it says that our Bible was given to us not by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We were given the Bible not by man's will, but we were given the Bible by God because those men were surrendered to God and what God wanted. His working in their life. 
So all Daniel had to do was simply to yield and surrender to God, and God did the rest. I believe that Daniel was great for God because he was truly surrendered to God. And though it's not clearly stated in the book of Daniel, I believe it can be clearly seen. I'm reminded of a story of J. Wilbur Chapman, who was a Christian evangelist in a generation or so back. And he was preaching a series of messages in London. And he had the opportunity to meet General William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army. And General Booth was at that time about 80 years of age when Dr. Chapman was able to make an appointment with him and visit him. He listened as uh, the general spoke of trials and conflicts and victories that he had experienced in his ministry. And then the evangelist asked him this question and said, General, if, if you would, could you tell me what you believe is the secret of the success of the Salvation Army? He hesitated a second. And Dr. Chapman said he saw tears well up in the general's eyes start to roll down his cheeks and said, I'll tell you the secret. I will tell you the secret. God has had all there is of me. There have been men with greater brains, men with greater opportunities, but from the day God put the poor of London upon my heart, and a vision of what he wanted to do with them, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there's anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Dr. Chapman said after meeting with him and leaving, he came away knowing that the greatness of a man's power with God is simply in the measure of his surrender to God. We might think that Daniel had, a, had an end with some people, but God puts that to rest real quick in Daniel chapter 1. It, it is not because Daniel won the favor of anyone, but in chapter 1 and verse 9, we see that that God was at work, and it says God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. It was something that God had to do on Daniel's behalf to get him where he needed to be. And I find that so true throughout Scripture, that whatever inabilities or limitations that you may have, it does not matter. God is able to su supply them, and He has more than an abundant supply of what is necessary for you to be used to do God's will, all Daniel had to do was to surrender. It wasn't in his ability, and the abilities that he did have that God used so greatly were given to him by God to begin with. In verse 17 of chapter 1, we see that as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill, and all learning, and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding, and all visions, and dreams, and it's no doubt that the abilities that God in, imparts to us are the abilities that God intends to use in ministry and doing His will. We know the requirement. Surrender to God. Luke chapter 9 Verse 23 and 24, And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, 
and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. We know Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane bowed and prayed, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And it is a daily battle that we must face and a daily decision that we must make as to whether we are going to surrender to God or not. I ask you the question, how surrendered to God are you? And you say, what? You know, the problem that I have found is, how do you measure that? I mean, do we take out this tape measure or a tool like it, and we stretch it out to see how much surrender we have? Do we have a little cuff that we can put on our arm like a blood pressure machine and pump it up, and it tell us exactly how much surrender we have at that particular moment? We need something to gauge it. Uh, yesterday, we, I've been having on my mind that winter is coming. I, I don't know for sure that it is, but I have that in my mind that it's going to be coming. And just like the ant is wise in preparing his meat in the summer, it was definitely summer yesterday, but I was getting some firewood. And we were, and we had the trailer loaded up, and we got the... God, and I even put some sides on my little short wall trailer where I could be sure I had enough room to get a full load. And we packed that thing down in my truck and started to drive away. And I looked at the tires on my trailer and the rims were only about an inch off the, off the ground. And I was like, oh no, what am I going to do? So we got, a, got near an air compressor, long story short, and I began to Pump some air into that thing, and it had a gauge on there that told me. And when I first put it on, it had like 10 pounds of pressure. And I was like, oh my. You know, I've seen this trailer, and it looks like just looking at the wheels, and I haul a little lawnmower on it, and, and I see it, and it never, never did sink down between the weight of that lawnmower. But when I put some real weight on it, it exposed the fact that my, my air pressure was low. You know, many times when the weight of burdens get put upon our life, it exposes the fact that we are not surrendered to God like we thought we were. Satan would want you to believe that you are surrendered to God or mostly surrendered to God. The message this morning, which shortened my message again, by the way, of talking about self-deception. This is one of those areas that we deceive ourselves because there is seemingly no gauge by which we can measure how surrendered we are at any moment or time. Sometimes we do not know until the load gets put on us. But in the life of Daniel, I think there are several marks that we could use as a gauge to see how surrendered we are. If you were to guess now before we even start talking about them, and just use a scale of 1 to 10, in your own mind, in your own heart, you know I'm setting you up, right? In your own mind, in your own heart, how surrendered do you believe you are? 
to God. How surrendered are you? On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not surrendered at all, 10 being total, absolute surrender. Where do you fit? Most people are going to pick between 3 and 8. If you pick 10, then we know you have definite pride issues, right? (laughs) Because the closer you get to God, the bigger the sinner you believe yourself to be. But what is the mark? What is the gauge? How can we do that? I believe Daniel, and obviously Daniel was used in a great way, not only through Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, but through several kings all the way through to Cyrus of the Medo-Persian Empire. He outlasted countries and rulers and kingdoms because God was with him. He was surrendered to God. There's no question about it. There's a couple of areas that I want us to see how Daniel was surrendered. First of all, I want you to see that Daniel was surrendered to the place God put him. Daniel was surrendered to the place God put him. I think often in the story of Daniel, we know about the lion's den. We know about some of the great things that God did through him. The great revelations, the prophecies even of Daniel's 70th week and what would happen still yet to come with the nation of Israel. But in the beginning, it kind of lightly covers the early years of Daniel. Daniel was in Judah, the nation of Israel, grown up in a Hebrew home. And somewhere between the ages of 14, 16, somewhere in that area is when Nebuchadnezzar came and besieged the city. There were three exiles from Israel in different areas at different times. And Daniel was in this first one. He was separated from his family. Nebuchadnezzar would go in and take young captives, haul them away, put them in his royal academy, and basically train them to become Chaldeans. He changed their culture, changed their name, changed their diet. He was trying to make them into what he wanted them to be, good Chaldean citizens. He was immersed in the pagan ways and customs of this heathen nation, and he was offered privileges in exchange for compliance. Sounds a lot like the world, doesn't it? And he was made to be a servant to a king of a heathen nation. At 15 years old. But I want you to notice what Daniel chapter 1 and verse 2 says. It says, and what? The Lord gave. This was of God. This was the Lord's doing that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, God's people, would be captured by Nebuchadnezzar. We know 70 years of Babylonian captivity is what they had to endure and what they were going to be facing, and God was bringing it to pass now in Daniel's time. It was not the fault of Daniel. 
But he lived through the judgment of God those 70 years. This was the place God had for him. But it wasn't an easy place. Daniel, we see, believed that God was in control. He said it was God's doing that let Nebuchadnezzar come and put these, these oppressions upon our people and this suffering and this trial and this burden and this hardship and these wrongs and these sins against us. God's allowed this for His plan and His purpose. He attributed it to God. And how often we, in similar situations, whatever place it is, whether it be a physical place or whether it be a circumstantial place, we begin to wonder what has happened and think that God somehow is out of control and has lost control and that He does not care and that He does not love, that He does not see. But oh my, how how false that really is. We tend to categorize our circumstances as being good or bad. And that's based upon what we desire. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I want to remind you that God often uses the tool of suffering and difficulty to accomplish some of His greatest works. Job, the greatest impact of his life was his suffering and his patience through it. That's an example to us. Disciples in the book of Acts who were persecuted because they preached the gospel were scattered abroad spreading the gospel message rather than it being shut down. Paul was given a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble to the point where he rejoiced in infirmities and necessities and persecutions for Christ's sake, he said, because when I am weak, then am I strong. He knew that those oppressions and difficulties meant that more of God's grace was going to be available to him and he could do it through God's power. Jesus, of course, on the cross... It was through His sufferings that He purchased salvation for us, the greatest work ever done. May I ask, what difficult place does God have you? In your work? Someone at work? In your home? In your marriage? In raising your children? It could be at church. Or other people in the church. It may may be in a place that you don't want to be physically. Or circumstances that you'd rather not be dealing with right now. Whatever place it is, can tell you how surrendered you are to God. Because let me tell you, God is still in control. And though Daniel had all these things going on, He was surrendered to the place that God had put him. You know what happens to the unsurrendered man? When he gets in such circumstances and difficulties, he becomes bitter. He fights against the circumstances. He tries to change them. He tries all he can and he does whatever it takes to try to get out of that situation. But God keeps blocking. And when God keeps blocking... He's sending you a message saying, surrender. Surrender. This is the place I want you. 
I want you right here. The unsurrendered man becomes bitter. You know, when someone surrendered to God, they don't have to deal with bitterness toward circumstances or toward other people because they're surrendered. God's taking care of it. He's going to give them the grace to deal with it. So here's a good gauge for us to measure how surrendered we are as we evaluate the place that God has put us. Not only was Daniel surrendered in the place that God put him, I see also that Daniel was surrendered in his pursuit of God. Do you know if you would know God, you must pursue Him? (laughs) He's not going to come and make Himself known unto you beyond salvation as Savior unless you pursue after Him. I see in chapter 1 and verse 5 where the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and the wine which he drank and his plan was to nourish them for three years and then bring them before the king. And down in verse 8 is a very famous verse. You probably have heard it and know it from the story of Daniel. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. Now Daniel is in no position to be bargaining with the king's orders. But Daniel has a conviction. He has a conviction that he's not going to do anything that will defile him in the sight of God. Isn't it amazing how insensitive to sin we can become? And to the things that would defile us and do defile us. May I remind you that the world is still the enemy of God? James 4.4 tells us, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And I'm afraid that we have in many ways become too friendly with the world. And we've lost God's power and blessing on our life and maybe even on our church. And when we see that happening, we still want to have friendship with the world and still have God's power and blessing, but it does not work that way. We have to be surrendered in our pursuit after God. And Daniel was. Because he was not going to let something come into his life that would defile him in God's sight. Our family enjoys floating the creek. We have a little creek down Stone County and Red Creek that we usually go floating on when we go. It's not that deep. You can kind of see in the water and see how see where some deep spots are. And uh, be similar to what kids do at uh, camp going on the Okatoma and floating down it. Well, we have our own canoes. And so on this particular trip, we have two and we put in my mom several years ago and uh, my daughter Kristen were in the first canoe and then me and my wife were in the second canoe and the older canoe and we began our journey down the creek. Now this is a lonely stretch of, of creek that we were on and there's one bridge about, about 15 minutes down the creek and that's all that you see of civilization until you get seven hours further down the creek 
to Highway 49 where it crosses Red Creek. And so that's where we were going to take out. And we began our journey and we passed through that first uh, bridge. And I'm like, well, there's no turning back now. And if a little ways down the creek, I noticed that our canoe had about an inch of water in it. And I was like, oh, no. We've already passed the old bridge. We've got six hours to go. We're, we're in trouble. And I was looking at this, trying to figure out how this water was getting in. And over there on the side, right where it bends to go up, there's a little hole there. And when we did the rock the canoe a certain way, you could see water actually streaming in and almost shooting up. To me, at the time, it looked like a gusher. And I'm like, oh no, I don't want to carry this canoe all the way down this creek. And so I scrambled around and found uh, a lot of clay banks. And so I dug out some clay out of the bank and I rubbed some on the outside and put a big glob of it out there to try to keep the water off. And we were able to limp our way down the creek. But all the time I was worried about it. And every 20 minutes or so, we'd have to stop and dump the water out of the canoe. And we had to be so very careful. We realized that the old canoe was just so brittle been a while since it had been used, and we never used it again. We survived, by the way. We did survive. But you know, that enjoyment of that trip was totally gone after we realized the water was getting in. The whole purpose of the canoe was in jeopardy. It was supposed to be in the water, but the water wasn't supposed to be in it. And the canoe's purpose was in jeopardy. It could have seen, you know, these cartoons where you see the canoe and a little leak spring up with a little fountain and the canoe goes down underwater and then you see bubbles. I mean, that's what was going through my mind. But we limped along down there and finally made it and got out. But you know, it's a perfect illustration of the Christian and the church in this world. As long as we are in this world moving forward for God without the world getting in, we're going to be okay and be able to fulfill our purpose. But what's going to happen is we're going to spring a slow leak and we allow the world to slowly come in. It's going to jeopardize our whole purpose. A simple little illustration, but an unsurrendered man will make allowances for certain things in the world. You see, with Daniel, this was not just determining what was right and what was wrong. We often hear someone defend a position or an activity or an entertainment saying, there's nothing wrong with it. Daniel was beyond that. Daniel was to the place where he said, Lord, if this is going to hinder me and you in any way, I don't want it. I don't want to participate in it. I don't want to do it. I'm going to stay away from it. It may or may not be right or wrong, but if it hinders us, I'm not doing it. And that's where Daniel was because he was surrendered in his pursuit after God.
Every decision and every choice that we make either brings us one step closer to God or moves us further away. A man who is not surrendered to God will never stand against the world, but will conform to it. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, talks about our surrender. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's the surrender to God. And then verse 2 is possible, he says, and be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. James said it this way, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. That's what that word defile means. It means a stain. And James said we do not want to be spotted. I don't want one spot of the world upon me. It's going to hurt my relationship with God. Not only was it Daniel's avoidance of what defiles, but his daily disciplines on the positive side were impressive. Look in Daniel chapter 6. We know it from the story of Daniel in the lion's den. But what got him thrown into the lion's den was his dedication to daily prayer. We see in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled, down, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Look over in chapter 9. In verse 2, chapter 9 and verse 2, we see that he studied the Scriptures. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the destruct, in desolations of Jerusalem. He had the book of Jeremiah and his prophecies, and he was devoutly studying it and he was devoutly praying on a daily basis not just one prayer but three times a day I, I can't imagine how hard that must have been for Daniel who was a top official in the state government of Babylon there and how how did he have time can you imagine right now if you and your schedule had to schedule out just one hour three times a day that you did nothing but pray? That's what Daniel did. How do you do that? Well, he was surrendered. He was surrendered in his pursuit of God. You know, there are just some things you can't do if you're going to truly seek God as much as you would like to. Hobbies. If you're going to do that and pursue God like Daniel did, you may not, I hate to say it, you may not get to hunt as much as you wanted to. You may not get to fish. You may not get to 
enjoy some of the luxuries and pleasures of life. But isn't it amazing how those seem to be the things that have captured the affection of our heart and those are the things that we work for and we save for so that we can enjoy them? What if we took all of that effort and energy and affection and turned it and focused it on pursuing after God? And it brings us to the question of why are we pursuing God? An unsurrendered man after a length of time will back off because he's not getting from God what he wants. May I remind you that we're not supposed to pursue God because of what he gives or because of what we want Him to do for us, but because He's God. Whether He gives or He doesn't give. What did Job say? The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's easy to honor and glorify God while He's giving and doing what you want. But when He is taking from you is a good measure of how surrendered you really are to Him. Daniel was surrendered in his pursuit of God. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race set before us. Lastly, don't you love that word? Lastly, I want us to look one other area. Not only was Daniel surrendered to the place God had put him and surrendered to his pursuit of God, but he was also surrendered in his prayers to God. I see that throughout the book of Daniel. The very fact that he prayed and sought God ought to tell us something. And I'm afraid that much today, many people today, have lost their confidence in God and do not pray. The devil's convinced many of us that our prayers do not matter or make a difference. And that is why when we come to a great need in our life, often we are quick not to pray ourselves but to call on someone we think knows how to pray and ask them to pray. Scripture says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, we don't get a hearing with God because of our goodness, but because of His mercy and because of the cross, the veil was rent from top to bottom. Many of become content to live without God's blessings because they've lost their confidence in God and forsaken prayer. And James was right when he said, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, simply because ye ask not. I 
I see Daniel surrendered in prayer because of the fact that he sought after God. But I also see that he was surrendered in prayer because he was aware of God's promptings to pray. Often through the book of Daniel, you see where God stirs the heart of someone. And you see him stirring Daniel's heart. And Daniel was aware of the fact that God was doing something. We see it in chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. We won't take time to go there, but he was mourning for three full weeks and fasting because God had stirred his spirit about something and he was praying and seeking after God for three weeks. May I tell you that often a grieved and troubled spirit means that God's at work. God was wanting Daniel to pray, to seek Him. And I wonder how aware you are of God's promptings to seek Him. Often it comes in a negative way. Sometimes it's a burden of our heart for someone. Or sometimes somebody may be on our minds. We can see the sin or weakness in someone. And maybe that's God's prompting for us to pray for that person. Not to criticize. Not to complain. Not to judge. Not to critique. Not to condemn. Not to gossip. Those irritations that God brings your way. Those problems that you face. Those things that you struggle with. All of these are things that God has brought to pass in your life because He wants you to seek after Him. And Daniel was aware of those. And he acted upon them. But it's not just this, it's how Daniel prayed. If you study the prayers of Daniel through the book, you're going to find that Daniel prayed in ways that we're not accustomed to. Examine your prayer list. Is your prayer list a surrendered prayer list. How many of the items that you pray for are related strictly to you? Prayer is not the means to get God to do what we want about a matter. (laughs) It is to be the means for us to find out what God wants done about a matter. We don't get answers mainly because We ask God for our will to be done and our desires to be met. James, after saying we have not because we ask not, the very next verse he says, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. And how often I have found myself going to God, not asking God about the situation and what's going on and what party wants me to play and how I'm supposed to respond, if anyway, to what's being done and what He wants me to do, I come to God and say, God, you know this situation is not right and, I will, and, and God, please change them. <laughs> Am I the only one who prays that way sometimes? Huh? No. May I tell you, that's not a prayer that will get answered. But I have had times where God has stirred my heart about something. And I've gone to prayer. And I've seen God do some amazing things. 
Why? Because I wasn't praying for what I wanted. I was going to pray for what He wanted me to pray for. And God stirs our heart. Prayers that originate in the heart of God are the ones that get answered. And may I just remind you that God does hear and answer prayer. We get our answers based on His will and not ours. John, 1 John 5, 14 and 15, This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He heareth whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. God hears and answers prayers that are in line with His will. After Jesus' ascension, and the disciples were to tarry in Jerusalem until they were to be endued with power from on high. And in Acts 1.14, it tells us that they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And the day of Pentecost came. Peter and John, in preaching the gospel, were arrested and beaten and released. And they came back and told the church what had happened. And when they did, that says they prayed and the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the Word of God with boldness. One of my favorite stories of the early church in the book of Acts is that of Peter after James had been executed. Peter was arrested and was next to be on the chopping block. And the church banded together and began to pray. It says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And they were in line praying for the things that God wanted done. And God moved and acted. And I see Daniel through this book praying that way. One other aspect about prayer I want you to see in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he called all the magicians and astrologers and all of his wise men in to tell him what this dream meant, but he would not tell them the dream. He said, I I know I dreamed, but I don't know what it was. I want you to tell me what the dream was and the interpretation. And they said, nobody can do that. No one can. Daniel found out and He goes in to the king and says, give me some time. And he goes back home and tells his companions, verse 17, Daniel 2, 17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known unto Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in the night vision. They prayed. And that very night, God showed him what the vision was. Then it says, after he got... Now, can you imagine how excited they must have been? Here they were fixing to be executed because the dream had not been interpreted. And they couldn't just make it up. The king would know. And so they seek after God, and God reveals to them what the dream was and what it meant to Daniel. Can you imagine how excited... They would be. They're going to get to live. (laughs) But notice what Daniel does. The very first thing he does. After this vision he has in the night, it says, Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. This tells me he was surrendered to God. 
I must say, if I had gotten such an answer to prayer, I would have jumped up and ran out. And said, King, I got the answer. (laughs) But Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And notice how it says it in verse 20. Daniel answered. I thought that odd. Here God had answered their prayer. And now Daniel answers God's answer. And here's what he answered him with. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are His. And He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth in Him. I thank Thee and praise Thee, O Thou God of my fathers, who hath given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me now what we desired of Thee, for Thou hast now made known unto us the King's matter. (laughs) Wow. When you get an answer to prayer, how do you answer God? Daniel was surrendered to God and how he prayed. You could see it. At the beginning, I asked, how surrendered to God are you? I ask you to scale yourself between one and ten. I want you to think about that number. And now as you consider how surrendered you are to the place God has you. And you consider how fervently you're pursuing after God. And you consider your interaction with God in prayer. Now we can look kind of at the gauge. And see, I only got 10 pounds of air in here. It's not going to get me home. May God open our eyes today. May we not be deceived into thinking that we're truly surrendered to God when in fact we're not. You say, well, i got to get God, give God everything all at one time? Theoretically, yes. But practically, it's normally just one thing at a time. It's a process. A prayer that ought to be prayed is, God, would you show me what is hindering me from doing your will in my life. And may I tell you, that's a prayer that God will answer if it comes from a sincere heart. He will. The difference in Daniel 
had nothing to do with Daniel. It had everything to do with how surrendered to God he and his companions were. Let us pray. Father, thank you for...